Last several occasions we've been exploring different types of sin. It's important for us to study sin because it helps us to see the importance of our Savior, our Lord Jesus. Being a Christian means we understand how bad sin is and able to look to Jesus for forgiveness, follow His ways, but also look to Him in gratitude because He and only He can help us overcome sin and help us to live in accordance to His grace. So we're grateful to be able to study different sins that points out our need for our Savior. A few weeks ago, we studied the sin of vain worship. And we also, uh, in addition to that, studied the sin of modern idolatry. Last week, we looked at the sin of unrighteous judgment. Sunday, we were able to look at the sin of alcohol together. Tonight, I want to bring this word before you. It's not one we discuss a lot in the church, but uh, it's one that you'll recognize. That's, that's the word bribery. You know what it means to bribe someone? I want us to look at the sin of bribery uh, this evening, and we will uh, open it up and let you help with this as we usually do on Wednesday evenings. But just to get a definition of bribery, you know what it means to present a present to someone or to apply pressure to someone in order to obtain a favorable verdict or a favorable uh, result, at least how you look at it. Okay. To present someone with a gift, money or whatever, or to apply pressure to someone in order to obtain a favorable verdict or favorable, favorable result uh, in your behalf. Now, let's look at a few verses uh, from the Old Testament that gets us started uh, thinking about this. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 16, right quick. Deuteronomy, chapter 16. And looking down in your Bible, look at verse 19, part of the old law of Moses, uh, given to uh, the children of Israel. He says, uh, Deuteronomy 16, 19, You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Now jump over to our poetry section. There's a number of admonitions against bribery, as you might expect, but look over into Proverbs with me. Chapter 17. I'm looking down to Proverbs 17 and verse number 23. Proverbs 17. And looking at verse 23. It's a little short statement here. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret, and he does this to pervert the ways of justice. If we let our hearts grow wicked, then one of the great temptations of mankind is to pervert justice. And part of that is to accept a bribe in secret. Now, jumping over to Isaiah, 
chapter 5. So we looked at an example here in the Law of Moses and then one from the poetry section. Let's look at a couple from the section of the prophets. Isaiah chapter 5. In verse 23, Isaiah 5, 23. Pronouncing some woes upon people who do different things. Isaiah 5, 23 says, This woe is pronounced upon those who will acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his rights or right. Okay. Notice the woes there. We've noticed these in Isaiah 5 before. Uh, prior to this, but look at verse 20 and come on down. Isaiah 5, beginning in verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and who are shrewd in their own sight. Verse 22. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and who are valiant men in mixing strong drink. And in addition to that, woe to those who will acquit the guilty for a bribe, bribe and deprive the innocent of his rights. Okay. And then one other from Micah, jumping over to the minor prophets. So uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Micah. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah chapter 3, verse number um, 11, notice this, Micah chapter 3, verse number 11, talking about some of the rulers in Israel, it says, some of the rulers in Israel give judgment for a bribe, its priests will teach for a price. Its prophets will practice divination for money. Yet, they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. This is in the, the waning days, uh, just prior to uh, captivity uh, for Judah. And Micah has been sent by God to say, Here's some of your problems. You pervert justice. You priests, you judges, the leaders of Israel accepting bribes from people in order to pervert justice. God is very displeased with this sort of behavior. Micah chapter 7, again, Micah 7 verse 3. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. And the prince and the judge ask for a bribe and the great man utters the evil desire of the soul, thus they weave it together. So on the one hand, they just are desiring to do evil, and on the other hand, they have this opportunity to pervert justice and accept the bribe, and they weave those things uh, together. So that's enough to give us an idea. And every admonition in the New Testament that involves greed or filthy lucre or covetousness would involve... Um, God's condemnation of, of bribes as well. Now, let's open it up just a little bit. And I want to ask you to give some samples of bribes in the Bible. And you'll be able to think of these. Just 
put your thought to it a little bit. What comes to your mind when you think about brides? Examples uh, from the Bible. Yeah, Judas. Judas is an excellent one. So let's let's start with Judas over in Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. So, how does Judas fit into uh, this idea of bribery? And of course, he's very familiar to us. Let's notice how uh, Peter describes it in Acts chapter one, as they have some days. Uh, well, a few days in between uh, Jesus' ascension and the day of Pentecost. So Peter takes this occasion to say, we've got to replace one of the apostles because, of course, Judas had gone out and hung himself. So Acts chapter 1, verse 15 says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of people about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David, Concerning Judas. So David spoke about Judas. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? The prophecy of God. Now, Psalm 69:25 is one of those. And Psalm 109, verse 8 is another one of those. Zechariah 11:13. So, um, but David in the Psalm spoke of the betrayal of Judas. And so Psalm 69, 25, Psalm 109, verse 8. So Peter is saying, here's what David said concerning Judas, verse 16, Acts chapter 1, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us. Judas was once a true apostle of Christ. Peter says he was numbered among us. And was allotted his share in this ministry. He was among us. He was, he was with Jesus. We observed his miracles. He taught us the things he wanted to teach us. And So verse 18. Now this man, Judas, bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. Now what does that mean? What is that referring to? That Judas bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. very strangers in. Right. So, that's right. The, Judas brought that 30 pieces of silver back, recorded in Matthew 27, threw it down at the feet of the chief priest, and they said, we can't take this into the temple. Of all things, after what they've done to Jesus, now they're going to get all religious and holy on and say, well, we can't take this into the temple, you know. So they said, so they took that money and bought the potter's field. And so that's exactly what Peter is referring to here. And so notice here, though, the words um, bought and the reward he bought. He got what was his reward of his wickedness? Well, ended up, he went out and hung himself, and then they bought the field uh, with his money. So Judas is an excellent example of one... um, Using money to obtain a favorable result, or at least a a selfish result. Let's look a little bit further at Judas. Turn your Bibles over to Matthew 
chapter 26, right quick, Matthew 26. Looking down to about verse 14. Well, you'll notice in Matthew 26, verses 3 and 4, that the chief priest and elders of the people, they've got this Passover feast coming, and they're plotting together, Matthew 26, verse 4, to how to arrest Jesus by some kind of secret way and kill him. But then they said to each other, Well, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. But, hang on. Verse 14, Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, at what particular specific time is he going to go up and kiss Jesus? What's, what's the scene going to be? Yeah, it's in the garden. So Judas knew that Jesus often went there. So turn the page in your Bible, Matthew 26, verse 48. Well, 47 and 48. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs, swords and clubs, and from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Matthew 26, 48, the one that I kiss is the man you need to seize him. So they came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. So they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. There's an example of bribery. Hezekiah gave away temple treasures to keep Assyria from the south. It's in 2 Kings 18.15. Right. So if you want to mark that one as well, 2 Kings 18.15, as a possible case of bribery, Hezekiah took some of the money and was trying to protect uh, his people. Okay. He actually gave away the treasures of the temple. Gave away the treasures of the temple. Delilah? Okay. Explain yourself on that. Well, they wanted to know what Samson's power of his strength was, so um, they told him, you know, we'll give you such and such and such and such to find out. Well, I think she tried three times instead of trying to use the Okay. Right. So she was conspiring with evil men try to find out the the secret of Samson's strength. Right. And he left her raised. I mean, he had already left his wife. He left his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had left everything for her. And, and she wasn't, she was able to burn herself. Okay. Let's think a little bit more about Judas. What do you think caused him to go wrong? Where did he, where did he go wrong? How, how did he bring himself to to betray his Lord and to take this bride. 
create this bride, really. His character is already stealing out of the bag, being the treasure. Okay. Love for money. Okay. Let's look at that. Mike's saying that his love for money, his um, character was turning bad. Look over to John 12 right quick. Uh, John 12. This is the occasion when Mary will anoint Jesus' feet and will do a great devoted service to him. John 12, first several verses. If you look down to verse 4, Judas Iscariot is there. John 12, verse 4, one of the disciples who was about to betray him. And Judas says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, John's saying here, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And then Jesus said, Leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So notice that Judas at some point, his view of Jesus changed because his character changed. Uh, he, he started not caring, not caring, not caring for the poor, but just not caring as well. So that's a, one of the first steps of departure from God is just not caring. And that led him to complain and then that led him to be a thief. And then eventually it led him to be a backstabber, a betrayer of the Lord. All right, so that's good examples here. So uh, we looked um, at Judas. What else comes to your mind when you think about uh, bribery in the Bible? The uh, Roman soldiers were bribed to say that Jesus' body was sold by the apostles. Okay. The Roman soldiers that stood at the tomb of Jesus to guard that tomb. Let's look at that occasion. Look at your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Looking all the way down, verse 62. Matthew 27, 62. Now notice carefully, next day, this is after Jesus has now been crucified. Next day, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, referring to Jesus as an imposter, said while he was still alive, he said, after three days I will rise. They had heard Jesus say that, hadn't they? Verse 64, therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and then tell the people he has risen from the dead. And then the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said, okay, you got it. You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and then setting a guard there. We know, though, getting right into chapter 28, we know that that didn't keep Jesus from coming forth from the dead. He did in tremendous fashion. Concerning these guards, 
If you want just a little humor in the Bible, look at verse 4 of Matthew 28. For fear of him, talking about this angel that appeared there, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Okay. For you Star Wars fans, when Yoda walks into a room, sometimes everybody just falls down. Well, this angel here appeared and these, these soldiers just fell out. Well, they come and report verse 11. Verse 11, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place, every bit of it. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient, notice this, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money. They took the money. And they spread the lie. And they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews unto this very day, Matthew says. Now, notice how this is solid proof of the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that they had to concoct the story and give this bribe. Solid proof that Jesus indeed did come back from the dead. We have no doubt about that whatsoever. But then notice the ridiculous story. Can you believe that people will, will hear things and believe it? Do you ever get astonished at the gullibility of people? I do. I mean, it's almost as if if somebody says it from the government, it's just true. Okay. Which is almost a rule not to believe it, but you can deal with that yourself. But notice what's happening here. They are creating a ridiculous story. And people just believe it. Matthew said, people are still believing this up to my day, until the time I write this. Matthew writes his gospel several years later after, after this. They're still believing it. Still believing it. What makes it a ridiculous story? Somebody say it. What makes it a ridiculous story? What did they say? His disciples came by night and stole him while we were what? Sleep. Asleep. Okay. So, sleeping witnesses. Sleeping witnesses. But that, that story just passed, got passed on down. We were asleep, they came and got. How do you know? If you were asleep, how do you know? Okay. Sleeping, the sleeping witness story, and everybody just believed it. It should have been. Right. It should have been put to death under their own rules and regulations. I don't know if there'd be 50 or more at the tomb. Are you reading that somewhere? Uh, yeah, just like in like Roman, uh, if they sent a troop of guards, it would have been like a troop of 50. 
Anybody else have any information about that? There would be that many at the tomb. But there would have been several. Those would have been, never got thought about in terms of 50. But these men knew death. These men knew how to guard. These men knew how to seal a tomb. And so the, the, uh, the story in itself is very desperate. Okay, what other um, occasion from the Bible reminds you of bribery? Taking first Samuel's Samuel son and started taking bribes. Okay. That's, that's good. Look at Samuel's sons. Let's run back to 1 Samuel. Let's start in chapter 12 because I want you to see what Samuel says. Samuel says, and it's kind of like a farewell address from Samuel to the people. 1 Samuel 12, beginning in verse 1. 1 Samuel 12, beginning in verse 1. Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you said to me, and you have, and now you've got a king over you. As if to say, good luck with this. And then, now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. Behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth unto this day. Here I am, Samuel is saying. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you, Samuel says. They said to him, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. They said, He is witness. But now, notice back in chapter 8, 1 Samuel 8, how different Samuel's sons behaved, which was very irritating to everyone. And it's part of what caused them to ask for a king uh, to be like the other nations, not all of it. But look at 1 Kings 8 and um, verse 3. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. Gain. They took bribes and perverted justice, sons of Samuel. So, yes, God was very displeased and it caused confusion and disheartened the people as well. Now, that wasn't on Samuel. Samuel's saying, look at my life and show, and you can see I didn't behave uh, that way. Okay, going back to the uh, New Testament, what about the case in Acts chapter 8? And um, Philip is preaching in Samaria. And this particular fellow was converted, but he was enthralled with the... um, with the power of the apostles. What's his name? Simon the sorcerer. Simon had some more reputation among people because he was a magician. But then when Philip came actually preaching and showing the real power of God, he also, Simon also, if you notice, 
in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Okay. And so, picking up with me, if you don't mind, Acts chapter 8, verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had, had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John down there, and who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, this is in the days of miracles, and no one could do miracles except the apostles and whoever the apostles laid their hands upon. Alright, so verse 17, they came, laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw this, verse 18, he saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on, on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And then what does Peter say? Peter said, May your silver perish with you. Okay, think about that. Simon was saved when he believed and was baptized. His sins are forgiven. Now Peter says... You have drifted back into a, a condition where your soul is now in danger again. Okay, the word perish here means destruction. Okay, spiritual destruction. Remember what Jesus said about perishing? Luke 13 verse 3. Except you repent, you shall, you shall likewise perish. Okay. So Simon here needs to repent. He doesn't have to be baptized again. But he needs to repent. He became a Christian. But now his old ways of the world are creeping back up on him. And he's offering them money. So you see what he says here. Um, he says, give me this power. And then Peter said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain a gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For anyone to think that you can get an appointment uh, in spiritual matters by money or by favor or by pressure uh, is to truly misunderstand God's word. Only God can appoint and designate things as they ought to be. That's why we rely on God's word totally. Let's uh, see, more than one occasion, I've had people to come and want to be baptized. But after um, just a little conversation, it's, it's obvious they're not ready. And you think, well, that requires more study, and it does. And a lot of times that goes, it goes pretty smooth, but sometimes it hasn't gone so smooth. Um, I can remember three or four occasions where someone come to be baptized because they wanted to start coming to church here and just have membership here. But they didn't understand the nature of baptism, what it was, and, and, and how it fits in with the gospel plan. And so, kindly, we just have to say, you know, we, you've got to do some, we, we need to do some more studying about this. And that's not always taken really well by, by friends and family members when, when we when we say that. Okay. And, um, but 
it has to be said because that see only God can declare somebody saved from their sins. Okay. Only God can declare if someone's a member of the Lord's church or not. Uh, we can't we can't give someone false hope no matter how much uh, pressure from family members you might receive, or how much you'd want to see this happen, how much attention this, this might bring to the church. Yet only God can designate someone uh, as being forgiven, and we have to stick closely uh, to his word. And so Peter will go on to say, um, you know, you're in the gall of bitterness, and um, he says you need to uh, repent and pray. I know Simon was a Christian because Peter would not have told him to pray because only Christians can really pray. A Christian becomes a child of God and praying is a child to his father, our father who art in heaven. So we know Simon was indeed a Christian because Peter said, you know, don't, you don't have to be baptized again, but you need to go pray about this. And then, of course, Simon says, you pray for me. You pray for me. Okay. So several good examples here of um, of bribery, and they're um, okay. So I want to write this one down. This is another good one. Numbers twenty-two, chapters twenty-two through twenty-four. This is uh, about Balak, king of Moab, and he hears about these people who have come out of Egypt, and as he and his advisors say, these people are just licking up the land. Everything they touch, they're defeating. And they're scared to death. Moab is scared to death of these Israelites. And so king of Moab, Balak, he sends to Balaam, who is somewhat a prophet of God, and um, he, he sends his messengers and says, we want you to come and curse these people, these Israelites. And they sent money to him. And Balaam said to those messengers, he said, you know, you stay right here. I'm going to go inquire of God. And God said, you do not go with these men. You do not curse these people. And so Balaam goes out and tells the messengers, go back and tell king, the king that I cannot come. I cannot come and curse these people. So they went back and told the king. And then if you're reading in Numbers 22, you'll read, I think it's long about verse 15. The king sends another entourage of even more honorable guys. Okay. and money, and promises that if Balaam will come and curse these people, that he will not only have money, he'll have honor. Okay. And then he goes and inquires of the Lord again. Now, I think this irritated the Lord, because um, that the fact that the Lord had already said, you're not going to go, and then for Balaam to come back and inquire about it again, just because they brought more honorable people, more promises, and and more money that perhaps he needed to go talk to the Lord about it again. And this upset the Lord. And the Lord said, go with them. Go on and go with them. So he went on and went with them. And do you remember what happened then? What did he run into? An angel of the Lord in the way with a sword drawn. And uh, what did Balaam's donkey do when he saw that angel? The first thing the donkey did was he, he got off the road and went into a field. And then Balaam struck him, got him back on the road. And then he saw the angel again. 
And by that time, he got into a narrow place where there's a wall on the side, and then he ran Balaam's foot against that wall. And Balaam hit him again, got him back on the path. And then he sees the angel a third time, and he couldn't go off the path at all. And so instead, he just, he just bowed down. He, he, just, he just went down under Balaam. Balaam got mad again and struck the donkey. And then that's when God had the donkey speak to him. And uh, finally uh, revealed that there's an angel of the Lord in the way. And then Balaam acted better after that. Okay. You can read about this in Second uh, Peter chapter 2 uh, in your Bible. Notice how Peter describes it. Second Peter 2, verse 15 and 16. Um, talking about different kinds of false teachers, but notice what, how Peter says it. Second Peter 2, 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. That's bribery right there. Loving gain from wrongdoing. And was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. The last few minutes, just think about how this can apply to us. You know, any preacher that teaches God's Word, if he, if he doesn't teach the whole truth, every bit of the truth, then it's like he's taking a bribe. And so that would be a very modern day example of that. Okay. And not just preachers, but any teacher any Christian who would not speak the whole truth in order to gain or keep favor with somebody, that's a type of bribe. And then any religious person who is not willing to surrender to the truth but still wants to be religious, they have an alternative that they do. What do they do? They will find themselves a teacher who will tell them what they want to hear. Okay. That also is a type of bribe. Okay. For example, look at 2 Timothy 4 uh, right quick. And you'll remember this, of course. But in 2 Timothy 4, Paul said, The time is coming. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers uh, to suit their own passions after their own lust. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, stories, and fables. As for you, Timothy, he says, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill uh, your ministry. So many good passages to read along this line. But back in the prophet's time, one that comes to my mind, Isaiah 30, verses 10 and 11. The people said to the prophets, Do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak unto us smooth things. 
prophesy illusions for us. Okay. We wanted to hear smooth things. That's, that's kind of the cry of the world nowadays. Is they don't want to hear, I don't say all the world, but some in the world don't want to hear things that are right. They don't want to be. A, they don't want anybody to appeal to a standard of truth, but rather they want to hear something that will tell them that as they are, they're fine, and as they want to go, they'll be fine. So prophesy unto us a smooth thing. fellow uh, gospel preacher once told of a congregation out in, on the west coast who had told their teachers and preachers to not speak about divorce in the congregation at all for fear of losing members and uh, that affecting the church budget. They had money tied up in the church budget. They didn't want to affect that so they gave instruction not to teach about marriage and divorce at all. That also would be a form of bribery. If members of the church comes to people and says, you know, and threaten, well, we're going to leave or we're going to send our money elsewhere because we don't uh, appreciate um, truth being preached or taught, then that itself is also a form of, of, of bribery. There are some today who are not persuaded that Christianity as it is right here in the New Testament presented to us is valuable enough to attract the attention of serious-minded people in the world. So therefore, they think that you've got to use gimmicks and allurements, smooth talkers and, and fabulous speakers in order to attract attention to the gospel, that the gospel in and of itself is not has not been presented, it has not been brought to us well enough by God himself, we've got to add some things to it. And so we need some, some gimmicks, some, some worldly attractions to bring people to the gospel. That, in my opinion, is also a form of bribery. Okay. Paul was having a tough time among the Corinthians. And so along this line in 1 Corinthians 1... In verse uh, 17, he said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If we somehow think that the gospel in itself is not powerful enough to bring people to Christ, then we're actually emptying the cross of its power instead of helping it. Alright, so we could say much more and there is much more to say, but thank you for exploring this sin of bribery. It brings to life several of the uh, Bible uh, events uh, that are so precious to us, but also it challenges us to look into our own hearts and lives and hopefully we can appreciate our Savior more and we can um, learn to walk with Him in a closer way. Hope you're doing good. Hope you have a great night. And we'll take about a three-minute break.